So what's that? That is, believe it or not, I think four months, something like that. Uh, in the time uh, since our last service, one significant change that we have seen in this country, I think it's fair to say, is that there has been an increase in unrest between the general public on one hand and our governing authorities. I'm sure you would agree with that, that what we have seen um, is increasing tension between the general populace and the state. You're with me on that? Are you? If you wanted some examples, it wouldn't be too difficult to find some examples of unrest, would it? Just think about the reaction to our government's uh, lockdown rules and regulations. So what happens? COVID hits, the government issues guidelines, and what has been the discussion uh, throughout the land? The discussion has been, well, will we adhere to this or not? You know, will we just do what we own? Will we adhere to the government? You have that. Or, let's go for another one, what about the protests of last month? Now, largely peaceful protests, but it's also true that some of them were not peaceful. Some of them, there was widespread violence and widely approved of violence. The simple point I'm making is that you and I are in a time just now where civil disobedience is a reasonably high-profile theme. Okay, so that's the last four months. And then we come back into church today. And do you not, in a way, rejoice at God's timing? Because over the last, you see how it's topical, do you not? Over the last four months, if you're anything like me, as a Christian, you're wrestling with these issues. You're wrestling with, well, what should my attitude be to my governing authorities? What should my attitude be to the state? And what does God do? This morning we come in single file in in one direction, and God brings us to that very matter at hand. So this morning, you and I, we think about the Christian and our authorities, Christian and our human leaders. Okay, so the folks at home uh, have grabbed a Bible. We've got a Bible here. We're going to try and be ambitious because we haven't done this in a while. So what we're going to try and do, no promises, but we're going to try and hit five different things uh, about this topic that we see from Scripture. Okay, don't panic. I'm going to be here for, for ages. Each point will decrease in length. Okay, so five things. Watch out for the prepositions. I think that'll help you. So let's look to God's word. First thing, let's consider a command about submission. A command about uh, submission. (coughs) Excuse me. Okay, now, have you been watching these videos or not? Perhaps some of you have been watching the videos that we've put out at London City Presbyterian Church. If you have watched these videos, perhaps you'll remember the video that we put out last Sunday morning. We saw that Peter, having kind of just transitioned into the main body of this epistle, that he's kind of turned his attention to the idea of the 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 Christian and how they live in society. Do we do we remember that? Now, last week in the section that we looked at, 11 and 12, Peter had kind of given us a general introduction, really, some sort of foundation for the Christian living in society. But what he does from this point onwards, he gets really, really specific with you and with me. So later on, we're going to see stuff like the Christian and how we deal with work. That'd be great, right? And we, we, then we think about the Christian and home. 
with our relationships in the home. But he kicks all of that off here with this idea of the Christian and our relationship with the civil magistrate, you know, the, the authorities over us. And he makes a very, very bold, a specific point in verse 13. You're going to need your, your Bibles and to look at this. So have a look at verse 13. Okay, and pay close attention to it because I'm, I'm going to try and highlight just a couple of things about verse 13. So, so have a look. So what does he say? So he says to you, to me, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or governors as sent by him. Let's leave it there. Okay, everyone followed it? Let me just highlight one or two things about it. First thing is think about or notice the force of the command. Because you see those words there right at the start, be subject to the temptation we might have and the temptation that lots of other like you know, scholars and so forth that they have is to kind of minimize that idea. So to say it's the idea of you and I as Christians have just got to have some sort of reverence for our governing authority. It's like, show, you know, just show a little bit of deference to them. That's not the idea here at all. So hear this. It's much stronger than that. It's submit yourselves to almost the idea of obedience. Comply to your authority. So it's, so it's strong. You with me? Second thing that I want you to, to see there is the extent of the command. Because I'll ask you, who is it? Who is it that Peter tells you to submit to? Do you see? It's not just the supreme power in the land, is it? It's not just the king. It's not just the a democratically elected government or the emperor. Do you see? It's also the subsidiary or municipal rule. This is something. Like, this is a big call on your life and on my life. We are to be subject to, we are to comply with both government nationally, but also our councils locally. You know, we're supposed to submit to Westminster and the councils. If there's Scottish people watching online, this is the idea of you complying with Boris and with Nicola. You see, it is a big and sincere call. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll go into this in a moment, but I, I'll say it here. We don't like this. And I think because we don't like this sort of stuff, we tend genuinely to reject this sort of scriptural teaching in a couple of ways. Now, you think about this and see if it's true of your own heart and your own attitude here. First, we ignore this sort of command by appealing to the evils of the present age. Because you just imagine a conversation between two Christians for a second, okay? One of those Christians in a pretty lawless life. The other Christian comes alongside and says, are we not supposed to submit to our governing authorities? And that first Christian, they say, well, that was fine, you know, like 50 years ago, 100 years ago, when we was in a, you know, glorious, godly rule in, in Britain. But not anymore. You know, not with the fools at Westminster and this progressive mess of our Westminster government. We as Christians don't have to adhere. Look at the, the mess they're making. We don't have to adhere to the state now. Do you think like that? If you do, 
I think what I just need to do is remind you of this. I need to remind you who it was that was ruling when the apostle Peter penned this epistle. Claudio, as an expert in the Roman Empire, knows the answer. Claudio knows who was ruling at the time. I'm sure some of you do as well. In power was Nero. Like the most wicked and antagonistic and horrible emperor. And Peter still says to those people at the time, to Christians, be subject to every human institution. You see the point I'm making? Like we can't use the perceived evils of our government as an excuse for ignoring the scriptural teaching. And then we tend to do this. We also ignore this by appealing to the exceptions to the rule. Isn't that what's going on in here? Isn't that the momentum in the room just now in your heart and your mind? If you're anything like me, it so often is. We hear scripture say, obey human authorities, obey your government. And what do we do? Where do we go immediately? We think, oh, but what about the exceptions? You know, what about when we can get to disobey? We get excited by the exceptions. Well, let me say this. Absolutely, there are exceptions here. Like you and I are allowed to lobby government. We're allowed to protest, critique government. And we must never obey our government and our human leaders if they command us to defy God. Never. Surely you would agree that you and I need to stop coming to the Bible and focusing on what Scripture doesn't say. And here... Peter, for you, is not laying out all the exceptions. He is not focusing on all of the exceptions here. Here, Peter is reinforcing for you in this epistle what is an often repeated New Testament truth that despite the fact that they'll very often be pagans, Christians are commanded to obey their human rulers. So we see a command about submission. Second of all, we see an incentive towards Submission, an incentive towards submission. Because we do hate this. Don't we? I mean, there's something in the sinful human nature that despises submission. Isn't there? I think we all have a God complex, right? Like, we all want to be the people who call the shots. We want the people with control. We want, we want to be the people with uh, power. We hate submission in the home or at work. We hate submission in the church. That idea uh, riles us. We hate it generally in society. And yes, that God commands us in that direction should be enough for you. And it should be enough for me. But such is our pride, right? Perhaps it's the case this morning, in here or at home, we need some further incentive to submit, right? Well, if that's the case for you, then then praise God, because that's exactly what God gives you just now, further incentive to comply. Let me spell it out to you, really as simply and as straightforward as I can. You know what Peter shows you here? Listen, Peter shows you here that your compliance with human institutions, human rulers, it brings glory 
to your God. Now that should be an exciting thing for you if you're a Christian. Your submission to your human, to civil magistrate, it brings glory to God. But how do we see it here? Can I ask you to look at the start of verse 15? Have a look at the start of verse 15. Now, I'll give you a second, but do you see the phrase right at the beginning of verse 15 about the will of God? Do you see it there? Now, scholars are always kind of debating about which direction that phrase is facing. Does everybody get me? So it's the question is, is the will of God, does it come with what is before it in the text? So is it the idea of, if you are subject to human authorities, that's the will of God? Or is the will of God facing the other direction, and does it come with what's after? As though, start of new sentence, this is the will of God, and Peter goes on to say something else. Do you see the idea? Which way is it facing in the text? Well, hear this. Nearly always in the New Testament, that construction there is retrospective and it comes with what's before do you see how exciting that is or not like we are always desperate to know the will of god in our lives aren't we like we are always take it from from your pastor he all the time people searching desperate desperately for the will of god we're always longing to know what pleases god what what on and what are you learning there you're learning that your good citizenship in this country, your adherence to those over you, that that not only pleases, but honors God. And that should be exciting. Think about it. In amongst all of the sin in your life and my life, all of the ways that we're running and rebelling against God in lockdown, and co- in amongst all of that, if we submit to our governing authorities, God is pleased. It glorifies God. So we see it there. There's something even more exhilarating here because it's true, isn't it? I think we all know that there is this natural enmity in this world towards the people of God. You might think you don't have any enemies. I'm here this morning to tell you, you've got plenty of enemies if you're a Christian. There is a lot of natural enmity that exists in this city towards the people. You can see it, right? People love to pick holes in Christianity, or try to anyway, right? They love to point the finger at Christians and the way that we live. And look at what Peter goes on to say in verse 15. Please look at it. Do you see what he says? Like, be subject to, to your authorities for this is the will of God. And then look, that by doing this, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Do you see how exciting it is? What you're learning is that there is an apologetic consequence to your compliance to those over you in power. There's actually gospel benefit to our submission to those who rule. That is an amazing idea. And it's not just, I think, the idea that that our compliance will render people speechless, unable to accuse us of wrongdoing. Not if you remember last week in verse 11. It's even bigger than that. It's the fact that our good works in relation to the state, God can use that to actually bring people through to 
his word and then through to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're sitting here and you're thinking, I am not living it biblically, my, a proper reaction to my governing authorities, what incentive you have to change? If you look to the beginning of verse 13, notice what Peter doesn't say. He doesn't say to you, be subject to every human institution. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake. For Jesus' sake, be subject to every human institution. Do you see our compliance? It glorifies our God. Thirdly, we see a heart for submission. A heart for submission. How are we doing? Are you with me? Strange to be back, right? Strange to be back. But you're with me, I'm sure. Uh, we've seen this command about our relationship with those over us in authority. Peter's told us why it's important. This brings glory to God. But you know, as well as I do, right? That always in Scripture, here as well as always in Scripture, God is not just concerned with the way that we act, is he? Like God is always concerned with the spirit as people, how we act. Isn't that right? It's not just what we do, but actually just now God is concerned with our heart for submission. That's where it gets really difficult, isn't it? Our heart and our real, not just what we do in compliance with, let's say, the state, our real heart towards these people and our ruling authorities. That's when it's tough. So what does Peter say? Well, if you've been watching these videos on a, a Sunday morning, look, I wouldn't blame you if, if you haven't been watching some of the videos on a Sunday morning. You know, it's like, get up on a Sunday morning and see a bloke, a tired bloke in a t-shirt in front of a, a bookshelf. Uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't blame you. But if you have been watching uh, the videos on a, on a Sunday morning, perhaps you'll remember very recently a sublime theological uh, truth that Peter brought us to in chapter 1, where he spoke about redemption. Do, do we remember just towards the end of chapter 1, the stuff about redemption? Like Peter said that though we were, yeah, what would we say, captive? But do you remember the language that he used? We're, we were enslaved to the futile ways of this world. What's happened? As I look around, what's happened to you people? Through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, Peter tells you you've been ransomed. We remember it now, don't we? First Peter 1, we've been ransomed, we've been redeemed, we have been, you have been set free, liberated by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's not so much of a tangent as you might think, it's really important to remember here that when this epistle would have been first presented to those churches in Asia Minor, right? So when it's first read out, this letter, that section about redemption would have just been heard, wouldn't it? Like we're in chapter 2, that's at the end of chapter 1. So it's still, that stuff about ransoming by Christ's blood is still lingering in the air, still resounds. That's important for us to remember because here right now, Peter has it in view. He has your redemption in view. So let's look at it. Look at verse 16, please. And I'm going to say this to you again, please. Even if you're at home, if you could have a look at verse 16 and... Again, I'm going to kind of push it back to you to see what you noticed in verse 16. So let's, let's really read it. 
Let's see if we, at least we recognize how redemption is mentioned. What does he say? He says to us, live as people who are free. It's the idea of redemption. And then he says this. Now, get it. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. And then he goes on to say, but living as servants of God. Everyone got it? You live as people as free, not using that's a cover-up for evil, live as servants of God. What do you notice? Are, are you with me that you notice a command stated negatively first? You do, don't you? L- don't live as, pe- you know, covering up for evil. Do you see the idea or not? It's the idea that just because you have been liberated by Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean that you can pursue disobedience to the state. It doesn't mean that you can pursue anarchy or rebellion. You see it? But then what's the second thing you notice? You notice a command stated positively that instead of that anarchy, we are to live as servants of God. Do you see it? Through your redemption, you've been set free, but you've been set free to serve another master. You've been set free to serve God. What does that mean for all of us in here? It means that now we can go out into this world, out into society, And we can humbly, voluntarily, joyfully obey our government and those over us. Why? Because we know ultimately that it is God who is enthroned in on high. We can obey our laws. We can obey our leaders. Why? Because we know those leaders are, as Romans 13 tells us, they are simply ministers of God. Have you ever thought of Boris Johnson as a minister of God? Read Romans 13. It's true. And we can obey these people. We can obey these laws. Because we know that God stands sovereign. We know that God stands supreme. He is sovereign over every single decision they make. And he is sovereign over every single decision maker there is. So I bring it to you and I ask... Are you uncomfortable? Are you one of the people like me who really, really struggles with the idea of submission? If so, the clear answer for you and for me is prayer. But it's not just to pray for our human authorities as we are commanded by God to do. We also have to pray for ourselves. We have to pray that we will so clearly embrace the extent of Christ's redemptive work in our lives that we can can truly trust God, that we can go out, we can submit to our governing authorities so as long as they do not contradict God's word, we submit firm in the knowledge that our God is He who reigns. And fourth, we're nearly there. Fourth, A comparison with submission. A comparison with submission. Here, I would ask everyone um, to to look with me at verse 17. It's a very short verse, but it's packed full of stuff. Have a look at verse 17, please. Even get the kids to to have a look. Verse uh, 17. Have you got it? Hopefully the folks at home have got it as well. Verse 17. What do you see? Do you notice that Peter ends this section and it's kind of gunfire. It's like rapid, uh, short, sharp commands that are fired at you. And there's four like short, sharp exhortations, aren't they? Now, I think it would be wrong of you and me just to look at those 
in isolation and in individually, wouldn't it? Like you and I should think about those in this context. So what I want us to do is just to read, listen, to read the first three in relation to the fourth. Look at the fourth one. Do you see what it says? Honor the emperor. Now, are you with me? Would you agree with me that that seems to sum up the whole section? Isn't it? Don't you think so? Like, honor the king, honor the government, honor the leader of the land. Right now, so I want us to look at the first three. Just read them in relation or comparing it with that. So the first, do you notice? Is this true as well? That what Peter does is calls for an attitude in us that is exactly the same as our attitude towards the state. Because look at the first command. Who's it about? It's about everyone. But what's the command? Honor everyone. Um, this week, as part of my kind of lockdown reading, I've been reading a book about human rights. And it's a book about human rights that really focuses in on rights or the lack of rights around uh, the time of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it just blew my mind, and not in a good way. I mean, it's just disgusting to hear about the lack of human rights uh, in the first century world. I mean, the weak and the vulnerable were just... Marginalized doesn't cover it. Infanticide! The the killing of girls because they wanted a boy, or, you know, it was was reasonably commonplace. You know, if you had a disability of some sort, you know, just discard, kill, ignore. And then what is this? Peter comes with, God comes with this command, and what is the command? That we have to show respect for all life from the womb to the tomb, all life. To recognize its dignity. And that's fine for us to think about the first century world. But what about you? And what word does it sit with, with you? Does it sit well on you that just as you are to show great respect to your governing authorities, more than that, because all life is made in the image of your God, what are you to do? Honor everyone, all people. And then, don't you notice as well, Peter calls for an attitude that is different to our attitude to the state. Because read on, what's the second command in verse 17? Please look at it. Do you see it? He says to us, love the brotherhood. Love the brotherhood. And everyone knows what he's doing, right? You can see what Peter's doing. He's teaching us about how we are to view each other. He's saying, yes, you view yourselves as a brotherhood, as a family, but it's more. Because Peter's teaching us how not just to view, but to treat each other. Oh, I, I, I plead with you to hear it. That the great attitude that we are to have to the state is to be surpassed by the affection that we have for the other people in this room, for the people that we're thinking about at home. We genuinely are to love one another. What does that mean? It means that we're to be loyal to each other. It means that we are to be incredibly forgiving with each other. That's the basis of it all, surely. We're to be generous in spirit, so patient with each other. But you recognize it, don't you? We are to honor, yes, but we are to love the people of God. And then you notice the last one in verse 17, right? 
he calls for an attitude that is higher than the attitude that we have for the state. Because look at it with me. What does he say of your attitude towards God? Does he say honor God? Does he say love God? He says fear God. What about you? Do you see what Peter is saying to you? Despite the fact that he has labored the point that we are to respect every human institution, you should not quiver before them. You see what he's saying, don't you? That real awe, real reverence, that should be reserved only for the supreme authority of heaven and earth. That we fear not our state, we fear not our governing authorities. No, we fear only the one true and living God. So, this is what we're going to do. We're going to close with a fifth thing. I'll run through them. A command about submission. An incentive towards submission. A heart for submission. A comparison with submission. And we just close the sermon with an illustration of submission. Because it couldn't get any weirder in here, could it? But it is just about to get even more strange. Because in a minute, everyone's going to have to file out of here and into the garden. We're not even allowed to have fellowship. We can't even have a cup of tea and we can't do that in here. And isn't it the case that everything with lockdown has been about parks and gardens? I can't meet you in a house. It's got to be socially distanced in a garden, socially distanced in a park. I want to end this sermon by taking you, the people at home, but also taking you in here out into a different garden. Into a garden where the principle that Peter unpacks here is illustrated. And I want to take you to the Garden of Gethsemane on the night that the Lord Jesus Christ was betrayed. Is it not the case that there in that garden, in that moment, that there were two very, very different responses to the human authorities. Do you see it? If you think back, think about the first one. Think about Peter, the very person who has written these words. The civil magistrate come for the Lord Jesus Christ. The authorities in the land, they come to arrest Jesus. And what does Peter do? He rebels against the human authorities, doesn't he? He reacts, he whips out his sword. He reacts violently, he rebels, and he is rebuked by the Lord Jesus Christ for so doing. Then you know where I'm going. There is a second response to those powers that came. And so I want to end just by... You and me considering the Lord Jesus Christ and his own attitude. Because what happened? They came for him in the garden. What happened? The Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that all power, all authority is beneath or under the control of his sovereign heavenly father, the Lord Jesus Christ submitted to that human leadership. Jesus Christ went with them. And Christ went voluntarily. He went almost, you can say the words joyfully to the cross so that he could bear your sin. There in the cross, 
that he could pay the ransom on your head. That he could pay, bear the punishment for your sin. Friends, we have seen unrest. We may see increasing unrest. We as the people of God must seek to be above reproach as good citizens. Why? Yes, to silence the critics of Christianity, but more so that God might use our good works to bring people to the Lord Jesus Christ, to the Redeemer of his people, all for the glory of our God. Friends, let's bow our heads together and let's pray. Lord God, as we consider these words, the problem is our pride. Lord God, we do not want to submit to anyone or anything because of our sin. We especially do not want to submit to you. Lord God, we do thank you that we're here. We thank you for your word. But we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ living in such a perfect way, securing righteousness for us, securing heaven. Oh Lord, we pray in these things, give us Christ-likeness. And we pray in Jesus' name and for his name's sake. Amen.